Welcome to the Wide Open Podcast. Uh, my name is Brian Nassif, and I will be your host for the Wide Open Podcast. The Wide Open Podcast is your premier place to hear about West Coast off-road motorcycle racing. On this episode, we're going to talk about the new District 37 Sprint Enduro Series. I heard on another podcast somebody talking about the Sprint Enduro Series, and I think the way he framed uh, framed his commentary on the Sprint Enduro Series was uh, everything that he doesn't know about the Sprint Enduro Series, but he was going to talk about it anyway. So I want to make sure that we clear up any misconceptions about what it is that we're doing. So the Sprint Enduro Series uh, is going to be seven rounds starting in 2019, the first round hosted by the Hilltoppers MC at 29 Palms. Uh, so for most of you who have who are followers of District 37 and you've raced at 29 Palms, you're probably expecting something flat and fast, and uh, and that couldn't be any further from the truth with that particular race. Uh, that race is going to be held in the hills behind the traditional 29 Palms race course. The beauty of this series and the way the the way the whole thing is is working out is. From the inception, the clubs that decided that they wanted to be part of this agreed from the very beginning that they were going to work together to make sure that no club failed. And they had a very clear idea of what they thought these races should be. Uh, tight single track, nothing, uh, you know, basically riding from first to third gear, no fast sections, no whoops, no beat up terrain. Um, we originally started uh, with the thought that everything would be natural terrain. But as clubs started coming on board with ideas of where they wanted to host their events, we realized uh, pretty quickly that, that we were going to start hosting some of these events uh, on, in, on private facilities like 29 Palms and Glen Helen and, and Anza. So it didn't really lend itself to some of the wording that we had that we were trying to implement in our rules in regards to trying to make sure that we had uh, a natural terrain course. And to further that, we had a meeting the other night where we kind of we kind of gave the clubs the, the collectively the group gave the clubs the freedom to to use what they felt they needed to use to make sure that their that their courses were going to be the best possible course for the area that they were laying laying their races out but one stipulation that has you know it's steadfast and true was that there would not be any motocross in it we did not want this series to be just a glorified grand prix so uh, with that thought in mind, the clubs have been working really hard to try and try and make sure that the type of event that they put out there is going to be a really unique event. Uh, I I couldn't be more excited to see what it's going to turn out to be next year. And with all the hard work that everybody's been putting into it, it's kind of a breath of fresh air from what I'm accustomed to seeing in district, where you know you get uh, most clubs looking out for you know for the interest of their club and not really putting too much thought into what happens to the club that hosts an event before them or the club that hosts an event after them. And, you know, this particular group, uh, you know, really took a page from the way the Big Six operates and realized that the success or failure of this series was going to rely heavily on everybody agreeing what that type of race should look like and then moving forward in that regard. So, uh, so with that mindset, every we went out to look at the uh, 29 palms uh hilltoppers had an, had an idea of where they wanted to go and the group collectively wanted to make sure that they thought that that would be something that would kind of kind of fit the mold of what it was that we wanted to do especially with it being you know not only the first round of the sprint of the new sprint enduro series 
uh, Hilltoppers race kicks off the the 2019 racing season uh, with the Adelanta Grand Prix being the following weekend. So uh, a large group of us went out there, rode around. I, I got to be honest with you, I wasn't before I got there. I kind of drove out there thinking that that the we would really have to be searching to find something that we thought would work. And after we geared up and got on the bikes, within 10 minutes of riding around in the area that, that Hilltoppers uh, has available to them, it was, it was pretty clear that that race had, had the potential, has the potential to be one, one heck of a race and exactly what it is that we were shooting for in, with the Sprint Enduros. Uh, the following round is Los Coyotes, and Los Coyotes is going to hold their event in Red Mountain. Uh, they're going to do uh, an event very similar to what they did later in 2017 with their race. Um, and that, and really, that that race combined with the UMC Sprint Enduro that happened in 2017 was really kind of what got the idea going for for putting together a series. Um, I went out there and raced that race. And, you know, the UMC race was the first one. I went out there and raced the UMC race, and and it was just kind of a neat vibe. I saw a lot of GP guys came out to, to give it a shot, and it really got me thinking that there was a, a possibility um, to put to put together something that might get people back in the desert. Um, I would like to say that I could take all the credit, you know, for the thought on this uh, Sprint Enduro series, but it it certainly was not me. Um, that there's a whole group of people. Um, and this thing's really being driven pretty hard by Eric Jones of the Lost Coyotes and then Jerry Grabo uh, of the Hilltoppers as well. And without those two guys and everybody else is participating it, you know, Matt McGowan working working hard on making sure that we have desi you know designated rules specifically for the Sprint Enduro series. You know, these type you know, this series would not be the success or or the projected success that we that we think it's going to be. But to get back to that particular race, I kind of sat around with some guys uh, that I that I see at the GPs, and we were hanging out and kind of you know talking crap to each other and who can beat who, and and it was really a cool vibe. We would you know go out, ride a loop, come back, gas up, you know, kind of rib each other a little bit, go back out, ride another loop, and and I started to get some feedback from some of the GP guys that wrote it, saying you know hey you know what if there was this series we would we would ride it, uh, and you know, from the time I became president, it was, you know, I was doing everything that I possibly could to try and find some way to get people back out into the desert. And this seemed like it could be, you know, an opportunity to, to do some of that. Then fast forward to the Lost Coyotes round and the Lost Coyotes ran it, ran a different type of format than UMC ran. So UMC's format was a traditional, kind of a traditional enduro format in terms of the start where everybody was issued a number. Uh, or a time, a, a minute rather, and that was when you started. And so you would run, let's say your minute was 9.01, you would run your loop at 9.01, and then you had to be back, say, at you know 10, 10.16, and so on and so forth. And you did five five loops, and then your you know your time was was totaled up, which is the way the way a sprint enduro works is it's you're timed in, timed out on what what is called a special. Uh, the amount of specials are, are determined by, by the length of course and the time that it takes to run the course and the, and the club, we've given the clubs the, the freedom to, to determine how many, how many specials you're going to do in each one of those races, uh, depending on how much 
course they can lay out so that we can kind of get you to a designated amount of mileage at the end of the day. We want to make sure that everybody's kind of getting their bang, their bang for their buck. So you may ride five, five specials at one race and seven at another, depending on the amount of mileage that, that they're able to get and how long it takes to do that. You know, three miles of, of super technical could take, you know, 15 minutes where three miles of not as technical could take seven minutes, which would determine how many, how many loops you're going to wind up doing. And all of those races we had predetermined, uh, you know, through a lot of conversations that we were going to try and maintain our course length anywhere between three and eight miles. We, we didn't really want to exceed uh, that mileage. But to get back to the UMC round, you had to be back for each one of your loops at a particular time, or each one of your specials at a particular time. And the clock starts whether you're there or not. That's the time you're supposed to start, and the clock starts. So it, it's ticking whether you're there or not. And so that kind of, as the day wears on and you, you keep, uh, you know, completing your specials, it becomes more and more hard for you to get back on time and you're, you're tired. You can't ride quite as fast as you were on the first ones, you know, for us old guys anyway. And so that was kind of neat. <clears throat> then when we go to Los Coyotes and Los Coyotes runs what you would call uh, or what, what they called a European format. And what that was is that uh, basically it was start by class. So if you've done a desert scramble, uh, start by class desert scramble, like what uh, Four Aces likes to run, you've got open, open heavyweight, open heavyweight experts would be the first bikes, and then you know 250 experts would be the second bikes, and so on and so forth. It works its way down. It was the same type of start. The race started at nine. All of those riders were lined up in their row, and they all started 15 seconds apart. When you completed your first loop. You could go. You had to race five loops at that particular race. When you completed your first loop, you could go right back and start and do your do the next loop over again, or you could wait a minute, take a break. And what I realized rather quickly was that uh, there was a lot of gamesmanship going on with when you started your loop, when you jumped out on the course, because you have to you know factor in that you got experts and amateurs that are racing on the same course at the same time. It took uh, whatever it was, 18 minutes or something like that. Maybe it was 20 minutes to finish a, finish your loop. By the time you got back, you still had amateurs that were that were starting. They had you know they hadn't started the race yet, and so you wanted to try and make sure that you weren't jumping in behind those guys so it would slow down your time. Uh, for me, last year I was you know racing for a plate, so I was keeping a close eye on where Cliff Thomas was. I was keeping a close eye on what Dave Olivas was doing. I was keeping a close eye on what Don Urbanak was doing. And we were all watching each other to see, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to show anything and let it, let one of those guys jump in behind you so that they can try and pace your time because, I mean, you win those things by a matter of seconds. Um, and then you also don't want to jump in behind anybody who's going to slow your time down. And it, it really added something different to it. In addition to the fact that you, you, you had a predetermined amount of time to finish your five, your five loops. The race started at nine o'clock and you had to have started your fifth your fifth loop by 12:30. So there were, you had the clock ticking in the back of your head of when you were going to run out of time to complete your five loops. And the group decided that they thought that that type of uh, that type of format would be best for all the rounds. So that's the format that we're going to run. It will be start by class uh, and you know on a time on a you know so start by class. Every every guy starting. I think we decided 20 seconds apart. And then after that, you finish your loops in any way you want to, one after another after another, or take a break, or however it is you want to do it. 
Uh, so we think uh, we think that that's probably the best the best format. And I say that now, but we've you know we've made you know tweaks and changes along the way. But that seems to be one of the one of the the steadfast rules that we we've kind of ironed out last night that we know we're going to stick with. Um, after I you have to forgive me, I don't have the schedule in front of me, but I'm going to say that after the after the Lost Coyotes round, I believe we move on to RHR. Bear with me. I'm going to pull it up right now and tell you. Um, whether it's RHR or not, uh, the RHR round is going to be an interesting round. Uh, so RHR, uh, it, RHR is, you know, without a doubt that it's, RHR would not be what it is without uh, without the Kibbe family. The Kibbe family does a tremendous amount of work, uh, working, you know, working within district. Um, it is the RHR, right? I found the schedule. So they do a tremendous amount of work within district. Sherry Kibbe, not only, not only heads up RHR, she also, uh, works diligently with Rescue 3 and is the District 37 secretary. Uh, Guy Kibbe, is uh, one of the stewards. I believe he's the heavyweight steward, so he's putting in some putting in some time too. And then you've got Dwight and Dale, uh, who are following in the footsteps of their parents. You know, in terms of really being just tremendous volunteers for District Thirty Seven. Uh, you know, a, a funny little story is uh, you know Dale came to me after the SoCal race, and he had some comments about the about how he thought the youth race was. And he had, uh, you know, for a young man, you know, coming, I, I get told all the time that I can, I can come off a little intimidating. And he came right up to me and told me what was on his mind and what he thought about that race. And, and, you know, I, I always like to hear what it is that people have to say about races. I, I like it even more when they tell me what they have to say about races and how they think they can fix it. And so I was really, I really have a lot of respect for that young man coming and, and telling me those things. He's going to be someone who's, you know, the, the Kibbe boys are, are what is the future of District 37. So anyway, to go back to the RHR race, uh, for the past eight or nine years, Guy has laid out those courses uh, with his boys. And last year there was some there was some flack uh about uh, the rhr race or it was this year it was after after this year's race and unfairly i believe uh and guy came to me and told me hey you know what i don't think i want to lay out the the races anymore and it it kind of it hurt my heart it really hurt my heart that someone that had put in puts in that much time was willing to step away from something that he really loved because of some of the backlash that he got uh from from work that he was doing and I and I was honest with him you know look I know the guy goes out there with his with his boys and he lays out those loops and we had an honest conversation and he you know he he said they don't you know some of the people who were giving him grief said hey look I've offered to help and no one takes my takes my help and my response to that was if I had an opportunity to go out with my son and go lay out a loop without anybody else bothering me by I'd be out there doing it and there's and I can't tell you there's not one dad who goes out and rides with his with his son who wouldn't tell you the same thing and if he didn't tell you that then he's he's lying to you so but what that did was it it, it put those people who said that they that, hey we want to come out and help it put them on blast 
And so now what we have is we have people who, who have said, hey, I can do a better job uh, laying out a loop. Well, those guys are now coming out to lay out a loop. So the RHR race is going to be laid out 100% by volunteers, which I think is awesome. You've got people in district who, who have thoughts on what they think loops should look like. And those guys are going to come out and they're going to they're lend a hand to lay out those loops and take ownership of some of the criticisms that, they, that they've given in the past and, and then put their signature on what they think a district loop should look like. And, and, and that doesn't mean that the Kibbies aren't, aren't involved in that, that event. Guy is still the referee of the event. He's you know, pulling the permits. Talked to him last night. He you know, was, was bringing me up to speed on, on who it is uh, that's going to be out there laying out loops. Super stoked for what, that, what the, the potential that that race has. And, and, I mean, couldn't be happier that RHR is, is going to be part of this series. I mean, uh, you know, for, for what RHR does, you know, for, for the ridership, there, the amount of riders that we think will pull for a charity event, um, it, it just, uh, I think it's a great way to pay, pay back to the ridership. I mean, for any of you who, who know me, you know, I had a really bad wreck a few years ago and uh, my family wouldn't have made it had it not been for the help of RHR. So I got a real soft spot in my heart for for RHR. Uh, so enough on that race. The following race is uh, one that that I'm super stoked about, and that's Prairie Dogs at Glen Helen. Now, you just got to say Glen Helen, and for me, I'm going there to race. I don't care who, who puts it on. I mean, it, if it's the 24-hour, if it's uh, Rich Suter doing an SRA race, man, I'm there. I, I race, I will race anything at Glen Helen. I love that place. Um, and so when I went to go race Last Dog this year, and we were talking about this whole Sprint Enduro series, when I ran what they had as LDS-1, there were parts of that, parts of LDS-1, that I thought immediately fit right into what it was we were looking for for the Sprint Enduro Series. So we, we've been kind of negotiating with, uh, with Prairie Dogs to see how we, could get that, how we could get a Sprint Enduro to work in conjunction with Last Dog Standing. And I think we finally got there. So I'm sure a lot of people are going to be concerned that if they're going to, they're going to go to that thing and it's just going to be last dog standing and it's going to pay sprint enduro points. And that, that is not the case at all. Prairie Dogs is going to lay out a sprint enduro course. It looks like what they're going to do is they're going to make their weekend a two day weekend. And I don't want to speak for them because they haven't voted on it as a club, but it sounds like that's the direction that they're going. And so what you, what you would have is you would have the sprint enduro on Saturday. And that would be, and so if you wanted to just go race the Sprint Enduro, you show up, you race the Sprint Enduro on Saturday, boom, you're done, go home. If you want to race Last Dog, well, when you race the Sprint Enduro, you get earn your Sprint Enduro points on Saturday, but then that also is your qualifier for LDS2. So if any, for any of you who have ridden Last Dog, you know that you do LDS1 and it's timed. And based on your time is where you're staged to start LDS2. So what we would just do, since since all the sprint enduros are a timed event, we would do the very same thing. LDS1 would be a sprint enduro, would be all day of sprint enduro. We, we would tabulate your time, and that's how you would be staged for LDS2 in the event that you decided you wanted to race uh, LDS2. Uh, and you know, if you've ridden any of Glen Helen, any races at Glen Helen, you 
you know they can most certainly lay something out that's going to be just absolutely epic. So super, super stoked for, for that round. The next round is uh, UMC. And, you know, UMC, uh, UMC and Los Coyotes are really the only, are the only two traditional uh, enduro clubs that are participating in the series. Um, it was important to me when we started putting this thing together to get the enduro clubs involved in the sprint enduro series because well I know that enduro traditionists will say that this is not a real enduro because it's not a timekeeper enduro it's still a form of enduro and I wanted to make sure that enduros did not die in district 37 and the hope was that we could get enough people interested in racing an enduro series albeit a sprint enduro series that they would be interested enough that down the road, if there was the possibility that one of the other traditional enduro clubs had the manpower and the time to lay out something that was a timekeeper, that we might just have enough riders hooked that you could get some of the younger ridership to go back and actually ride a timekeeper. So that, so that true timekeeper enduros don't die within District 37. Are they gonna like riding them? Well, I don't know. That, I mean, that's, uh, time will tell. But, you know, if we don't try and find a way to, to keep Enduros alive in District 37, well, then we'll never know. Um, I mean, that was, for me, I mean, I ra I'll race anything, anywhere, doesn't matter the format, but I found District 37 by racing an Enduro, and I didn't know what the heck I was doing. I, hadn't, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what District 37 was. I didn't know what a desert race was. I had no idea what a timekeeper Enduro was. I just saw some advertisement somewhere for some club called the prospectors and i drove out there to go race this race and it was the hardest goddamn thing i'd ever done in my life and i was hooked on district 37 from that point on so i would love to see those types of races come back um, even if it's just a handful and then we we find a way to plug them into an enduro series and that's kind of kind of a long-term goal for what, what it is we're looking for uh so anyway, get back to UMC. Uh, UMC's race, I believe uh, they're going to be at Anderson. And, I mean, look, they were one of the two races that happened in 2017 that got us all thinking about, about this and, and how epic we think this series could be. I mean, they, I thought they laid out just a, just a bitchin' race. I really enjoyed it. And I have no doubt that they're going to do the exact same thing with what it is they're doing in 2019. I know the club... You know their club. A lot of different club members from their club have been, you know, pretty, pretty involved in the, a lot of the conversations that we're having, so that they, so they can get out there and start scouting and looking at what it is that we're, you know, they think they can put together to make sure that they put on a race that, that you know, meets or exceeds the standards that we, that the, that the group collectively has put together for what we think these races should be. And then, the the final round, back at Anza. So I heard on a podcast someplace else when they were talking about Anza, all kinds of speculation as to where, as to where this race would be in Anza. So, and I'm sure anybody that's listening to this podcast knows my connection with being in SoCal that we used to put on a race at the ranch. So I can tell you now, I'll let the cat out of the bag, it's not the ranch. <laughs> we went down, it, it is, it's going to be on the Cahia Indian Reservation. And I went down there, <coughs> excuse me, 
I went down there shortly after I became president and I just wanted to talk to the talk to the tribe and see if there was a possibility of us putting on a race down there and I went down there with the intentions of trying to get back into the ranch I had a feeling that the that the motocross track that was down there would probably never happen again but there's such a huge trail network around the ranch a lot of stuff that that I laid out personally a lot of stuff that Eric Kudla laid out I mean it, it's you know all through the Manzanita if you had an opportunity to race down there then you consider yourself lucky it's like uh, being able to say that you raced the Catalina Grand Prix now because it's just never going to happen again but I went down there it, you know with that thought in mind and I was fortunate enough to sit down with with some of the tribal members and I said I was got to sit down with the, the cultural advisor and I got to sit down with the economic advisor and then some other some other affiliates of the tribe and I told them who I was and and you know what races we had put on down there and right away the economic advisor told me that she lived in a house that was directly downwind from the ranch and how it had been dusty one day and there was a race going on there and it blew dust into her house and I knew the day she was talking about it, it was SoCal's race and the pumps broke we couldn't get water down and I knew right away that that we were never going to put on a race there again and I kind of figured like my trip down there was all for nothing and then they posed this question they said you know we have a, a lot of a lot of land uh, that belongs to the tribe because see the way that the the way the tribal land works is they have a they have parcels that they assign to tribal members and the ranch sat on a couple of uh, a couple of parcels that were assigned to tribal members but then they have they have they also have land that just belongs to the tribe. It's not assigned to anybody, and they they designated for dif different economic uh, interests. And they had this giant parcel of land, and they asked, "Would we be interested in going and and building some brand new trails on on this land?" And I mean, I couldn't say yes fast enough. And so we went down there, and and uh, they took took me out for a ride, and we drove around uh, the the this massive piece of land that they have and and uh, they asked me what I thought and I, I thought it sounded great uh, we talked for a little while longer and then from that point I handed handed that whole thing off to, to Jerry Grabo um, who's our legislative officer I told them that that I thought it was very important that we get our legislative officer involved and I and and what we were kind of hoping to do from the very beginning uh, with the tribe was put together some type of package and an SRP like we use in the desert um, that would define what we were going to do, what they were going to do, what the requirements would be uh, if we were to go, to go down there and host an event there and and Jerry's been working really hard on that and we're really really close to, to finalizing that so we can finally start get down there and and start laying laying out some stuff and it's going to take I, I, I expect it's going to take all year long for us to to lay that out and that that particular race at this time was is is being hosted by the district and the only reason it's being hosted by the district is because we wanted to make sure that we were in control of the relationship between district and the and the tribe until the tribe had a level of com comfortability with the district that they that we felt like at that point we could introduce a club into that and get the club involved whatever whatever club's going to host that event we could get a club involved with dealing with the tribe because uh, we, as re as respectful as we try and be of 
of all of the public lands that we ride on, we need to be equally as respectful of the of the tribal land. It's very, very important to them, and I and I understand it's their land, and they're being nice enough to to let us come down there and race on it. And so we wanted to make sure that we had all of those things in place, so that there were no misunderstandings about what we would and would not do when we were down there hosting an event. And and Jerry has worked super hard at putting all that together, and and we're we're almost there. Uh, so. So that, in a nutshell, is your Sprint Enduro series. Uh, one thing that uh, we, so one thing I neglected to talk about is the, the point structure for the Sprint Enduro series, because it's, it's a question that I get quite often. Uh, are the Sprint Enduros going to pay desert points? Yes, they're going to pay desert points. But we, we decided from the get-go that they would, they would only pay desert points for the first three years. So they will pay desert points and they will pay enduro points. After three years, we're going to revisit it. And if the, if the series has become a standalone series and can support itself based on it just being an enduro series, it will no longer pay desert points. It will only pay enduro points. So that helps with two things. We have a standalone series where a guy can come and he can just go chase an enduro plate if that's what he wants to do. And... It helps us in the conversation that I have far too often about a desert number one plate not really meaning anything because you don't earn it in the desert. And that right there is where I'll end this because that's the teaser for the next podcast. So thank you very much for listening to the very first wide open podcast. Uh, this, uh, this first podcast I did by myself, but it is my hope uh, with the you know, in the future with the podcast, uh, I would like to get, you know, other people from district to, to join in on the podcast so we can have, uh, have conversations about all the things that are going on in district 37. We can have conversations about, uh, West coast off-road motorcycle racing. Uh, and we can just have conversations about racing in general. Uh, so again, thank you very much for listening to the first, uh, wide open podcast and we'll see you next time. See you at the desert.